Brian Johnson. I'm the publisher of Mass Device. This is Device Talks, and I'm here with Jan Svarka, the CEO of Tal Medical. So my name is Jan Svarka. I am the CEO and president of Tal Medical. Tal Medical is a, a clinical stage uh, medical device company developing a neurostimulation device to treat uh, depression and bipolar. Um, Jan, you're working in the area of depression and your tagline is rebooting the approach to depression. Maybe you could talk to me a little bit about what that vision means and from your perspective. So the, the, the ultimate vision is if I step back a little bit is, um, is to redefine the clinical paradigm in, in psychiatry. And uh, you think about it at a higher level. If, uh, in almost every clinical area, we have four different ways how to treat a patient. There is the natural way, there is a surgery, Mm-hmm. There are drugs and there are devices. If you think about it, for example, in atherosclerosis, the natural way would be drugs and ex- uh, would be exercise and diet. Drugs would be statins. Surgery would be a bypass, and devices would be pacemakers, stents, and so on. You go into oncology, like prostate cancer, the natural way would be uh, watchful waiting. Drugs would be chemo or immunotherapy. Uh, surgery would be prostatectomy, and devices would be radiation oncology. And you go from clinical area to clinical area, and you will find these four different ways. But not so in psychiatry. Mm-hmm. Right? In psychiatry, we really only have two ways how to treat a patient. It's psychotherapy, which goes back to Sigmund Freud uh, with the first formal school uh, about 100 years uh, ago, psychoanalysis. And we have drugs, uh, antidepressants, which go back to 1950s. We do not have surgery, unless you count lobotomy as a good option. And right. we do not have mainstream devices. Now, just to be clear, we do have devices. We have electroconvulsive therapy and transcranial magnetic stimulation, but they are used today as a last resort uh, therapy. So our vision is to close the device gap in psychiatry and to redefine the clinical paradigm in psychiatry by introducing a mainstream device into the clinical practice. Right. And, and while we're here, why don't we just talk about what that device is specifically? So the device is, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's a neurostimulation device. Uh, we are using magnetic, <clears throat> excuse me, we are using magnetic stimulation of the brain to uh, modulate the, the brain circuitry and, uh, and uh, reduce the depression symptoms. It's at, at, a very, at, at the highest level. It right. is derived from, uh, from functional MRI. Yeah, it looks almost like a, like a tabletop MRI machine, at least from what I've seen on, on your... Yeah, website, is, is that correct? I, I, I call it Honey, I Shrunk the MRI. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it is derived from MRI, and uh, it, it is a tabletop device. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it really looks like a small MRI into which you put your head, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you have a treatment of uh, 20 minutes, and we still have to figure out the, uh, the dosing regimen, but uh, so mm-hmm. far we have tested 20-minute treatment. Now, this goes back to something that was sort of serendipitously serendipitously discovered at um, McLean's Hospital here in the Boston area. Now, uh, maybe you could take us through that. I understand that there was some patients, um, they were doing some scans of them uh, that had bipolar disorder, and they discovered some side effects. Maybe you can talk about that. Yeah, that's correct. So as as many treatments in psychiatry, or or actually indeed in medicine in general, uh, LFMS, long, low field magnetic stimulation, was discovered serendipitously. So we're going back to about 15 years ago to McLean Hospital, which is the largest psychiatric research facility in the world. It's uh, part of uh, Harvard Medical School. 
and uh, they were uh, running a bipolar uh, drug trial. And for research purposes, uh, they had patients uh, undergoing a functional MRI scan just to see what was happening in patients' brains after taking the, the bipolar drugs. And uh, an interesting thing happened. Uh, the patients were coming out of the functional MRI scan after 20 minutes uh, saying, what did you do to me? My four-month depression episode is gone. Huh. And the, the technician approached the PI on the study and uh, uh, telling him about, uh, about the observation. And, and uh, at first, the PI was saying, uh, Amy, don't worry about it. These are bipolar patients, mood swing. Uh, but the, the, the effect was persisting, and, and so did the technician. Uh, so eventually, they came to a conclusion. The PI was Perry Renshaw. Uh, there is probably something in the specific research protocol in the sequence they were using in the functional MRI. This was still in the very early years of the of the uh, of the MRI. And, and just to be clear, this is not the rand, this is not off the t the off the shelf sequence you would get uh, in in MRI today. Right. So um, they they thought maybe they hypothesized maybe there is something in the specific sequence we are using. So they decided to. Uh, construct a proper sham-controlled, uh, randomized uh, treatment to confirm the effect in bipolar patients. Uh, so they did a trial in 43 patients, and they confirmed the they confirmed the antidepressant effect of the functional MRI of that specific sequence they were mm -hmm. using for the in the research protocol. Yeah, let's dig into that sequence for a second because you can't just go and get an MRI when, when you're depressed and suddenly feel better, right? I mean, this is can you dig dig into that a little bit? So if, if you use the sequence which we are using, you could get the antidepressant effect uh, mm -hmm. with, with the functional right. MRI. Uh, but the, the sequence which is used today for clinical purposes is not the okay. same as was used back at McLean right. in, in, the, in, in the research. Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's proprietary or not, the sequence that we're talking about, but is it? No, it oh. is actually proprietary. Okay. We have IP over this, the sequence. Okay. Uh, it's the IP defines the specific parameters of mm -hmm. the magnetic field in terms of the What's the wave? Uh, what's what's the shape of the waveform? The frequency, the strength, uh, the pulse width, uh, and so on. Mm -hmm. So we have IP over the the parameters of the magnetic and the electric field, uh, which is induced by the magnetic field, and we have IP over the specific device uh, which we are using. That's actually the second step after they confirmed the antidepressant effect of that sequence, and the second step was what I call. Honey, I shrank the MRI. There mm -hmm. was uh, this, this talented uh, physicist at McLean, Mike Rohan, who was the inventor of the uh, of the device we are using. Um, so basically, they were able to dissect the uh, magnetic field components of the MRI. Which it's a very complex uh, device. MRI. You have gradient field. You have static field. You have radio frequency field. Gradient field has different axes, and they were able to find with some some guessing involved. The one component uh, which had the antidepressant, which was producing the antidepressant effect uh, when you apply it to the specific sequence. Mm. So then, Honey, I shrunk the MRI. They created this small tabletop device, which is producing just the x-axis of the gradient field uh, of the MRI. Right. Now, combined with the specific sequence, you have the you achieve the antidepressant effect. Tell us about the patients that were seeing uh, a difference here, the bipolar disorder. I, I assume that they were in a pretty bad way when, when, when they went in here. Maybe we can just talk about overall depression in terms of yeah. the problem. Obviously, it's a huge market. I mean, you, the, there's untold numbers of drugs out there. Um, 
you know, commercials out there, tons of literature to try to get the word out about depression. But this is for a specific kind of depression, correct? Um, correct. So our initial observation was in bipolar patients. Mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime, we have tested the, the treatment in, in unipolar depression patients as well. Um, our immediate focus is on, on uh, major depressive disorder, also called unipolar depression or clinical depression. Now, this is, this is a really debilitating disease. This is not what, uh, what uh, if, if you get a bad feedback from your boss or if, if your teenage, teenager screamed at you that you, you feel depressed. Right. It's, it's not what we are talking about. Major depressive disorder is a debilitating disease uh, which comes in episodes. Uh, an episode can last from a few weeks uh, up to several years, on average actually four months. And the symptoms are both mental and physical. Mental, uh, it's, it's, the, it's a profound despair with feelings of helplessness, hopelessness, uh, inability to feel pleasure, mm -hmm. and, mental sim and, and, and physical symptoms being uh, insomnia, fatigue, uh, loss of appetite, and so on. And at, at its extreme, at the extreme, uh, you may feel the only way out is the, uh, is the ultimate way out. Mm -hmm. It's uh, to take your own life. And, and in fact, actually, uh, major depressive disorder is the number one cause of uh, suicide. 60% mm. of suicides are due to depression. It is also number one uh, cause of disability worldwide. So just to put some numbers, uh, maybe around uh, major depressive disorder, uh, the the prevalence is about six to seven percent. So as we speak now, we have 20 million Americans, this moment, who are suffering from depression, and about 50 percent of uh, of those patients have severe or very severe depression. Severe depression means like about 30 days of disability a year. And how are we treating those right now? Just through drugs? So you have <clears throat> you have two mainstream ways how to treat a patient. Uh, one is psychotherapy, as I mentioned, and the mm -hmm. second is, is drugs. Uh, right. Now, psychotherapy can be very effective, but it's slow to, uh, to act, can be also very time-consuming. Now, with drugs, uh, which have been around since 1950s and in major advancements 1980s, Prozac uh, and other new classes, uh, which is, uh, so drugs are approaching now almost $15 billion category, but uh, still there is, they have major unmet need. The, the big uh, the key unmet need is uh, you take is the is the slow onset of action. Right. So you take Prozac today or Cymbalta or Lexapro or Celexa, it will take four to ten weeks to get the onset of action. And just to give you uh, an analogy, like imagine you this this would happen with p physical pain. Imagine you break your leg uh, mm -hmm. or, or you, you are in a, in a car accident. You need pain relief, and you take uh, opioid or or morphine, and it would take four to ten weeks to get you pain relief. And this is the situation we have in depression today, mm. which, I, which, I, which one may describe as, as a mental pain. Yeah. So right now those patients are basically having to s suffer through it or hope for some sort of you know, placebo effect to help them feel yeah. better? I mean, how much, I mean, how many, any idea about how many people were losing in that sort of gray area there? So, so what happens today is, uh, if you have uh, if, if if you have onset of depression and you need uh, you need uh, immediate help, it's uh, so I mean basically either you are you will just go through it if it's not severe or if it's severe then uh, the, the 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 gold standard is hospitalization. Right. 
And uh, if it's particularly severe and refractory and has lasted for quite some time, and you are willing to consent or your family is willing to consent to it, you, you may also get uh, electroconvulsive therapy mm -hmm. or electroshocks. Uh, they have been around since 1930s. They can be uh, remarkably effective in, in terms of treating the antidepressive symptoms. But uh, the safety profile is uh, very controversial. Right. It's basically, there is a 50% chance, 50% chance of uh, experiencing some degree of memory loss. Uh, typically transient, but uh, nevertheless memory loss, meaning like you may not remember your, uh, your right. spouse next day. Yeah. Wow, so that seems like a, a quite a big area there that you can, you, you can <coughs> penetrate and, and make yeah. some difference. Um, so the, the one thing I would add is that the unique thing about uh, low field magnetic stimulation is mm -hmm. the rapid onset of action. Okay, so what we have observed is that the patients were coming out of the fMRI before uh, experiencing the antidepressive effect after a single 20-minute session. Now, we still have to figure out what the optimal treatment regimen is, uh, how, the length of a session, how many days you repeat it. But the important thing is uh, it had, we had the rapid onset of action uh, in depression. I'm curious as to know what you, maybe you have learned about depression that maybe you didn't know going in. You're not a psychiatrist by trade, correct? I mean, you're, you're, you're from the financial world. Uh, I have a business background. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I worked in, in finance in Vienna and London in corporate finance and audit. Uh, and I went to Harvard Business School and uh, 99, I, I joined Bain & Company. I was on the consulting side. Mm -hmm. uh, the last seven years, I was partner in the healthcare practice. I consulted to pharmaceutical and medical device companies. Um, I had a uh, personal reason in bipolar and depression because of a family member. So I had some uh, firsthand uh, experience with depression and uh, it's, uh, it, you, you can feel really hopeless uh, um, when, when you are with a, with a patient uh, who just cannot get uh, help from any medication or psychotherapy. Yeah, I mean, that, that must be the most frustrating part because there is, a, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's an element to the pharmaceutical treatment that is sort of hit and miss, correct? Because some patients will react, some patients won't, to Prozac and things like that. Um, is there, you know, is there a baseline that, that they, on these drugs that they know what works or is it more trial and error? Yeah, so the, uh, it, it's a very good question, Brian. So basically, there are three major unmet needs. The, <clears throat> the first unmet need I already talked about is the, the, the lack of rapid onset of action. The second is, is uh, the response rate is relatively low, and, and we don't know which drug to start with. So the, 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 the typical response rate for the first line uh, treatment is 50%. For the second line is about 30%. It, it goes down from there. And, and typically the way it works is uh, the physician will, some, somewhat of a guessing will, uh, in terms of uh, what, uh, what your comorbidities are, um, <clears throat> your age, uh, sex, and so on. So, but there's still guessing involved in terms of what the first line uh, will be prescribed by the physician. If it doesn't work, uh, you will go to a second line and so on and so on. But always it takes four to 10 weeks to experience right. the effect uh, mm -hmm. of the treatment. The, the third unmet need is, uh, it, uh, are the side effects. Uh, every antidepressant 
without exception, has side effects. And almost every patient experience, experiences tolerability. It's almost not an issue uh, if, it's, it's uh, how much. Their side effects are uh, insomnia, uh, weight gain, uh, sexual problems, and, uh, and even actually uh, suicide, suicidal ideation. So in spite of drugs approaching $15 billion category, we still have disease, depression, which is the number one cause of disability and suicide. It almost sounds analogous to um, when you have a sort of a drug-resistant uh, infection and then the doctors try one antibiotic and then if that doesn't work, then they try a stronger antibiotic and then a stronger yes. antibiotic. Is that kind of how the progression goes? They try you on one dose of medication. If that's not taken, they try you on a much stronger medication or a much stronger medication? I mean, that is correct. So there are many different paths. They, they start you on something, and then uh, if, if, if it's working a little bit, they may increase the dose. If it's not working or if you have tolerability issues, you will go to a second drug. Mm -hmm. And so there is a lot of uh, ex experiment experimentation in terms of finding out the, uh, the proper drug. And, and not just drug, but typically it's a regimen. Right. Uh, very often these patients will be on four or five different drugs. Wow. Because the depression patients often have comorbidities as well, anxiety, substance abuse, uh, and so on. So right now we're talking about acute depression, but you're talking about changing the paradigm of psychiatry in general. I mean, give me the five-year down the road. I mean, your clinical stage, so you're still working through your FDA approval and things like that. So you know, maybe you can sort of talk in large, um, large trail but where where do we go from here so to yeah. speak on the business plan yeah okay so where we are today so uh, what, what you care about in terms of the treatment is safety and efficacy uh, in terms of safety we are mri derived uh it's it, it's uh, it's a very safe treatment we have not not observed any major side effects we have uh in all trials to date we had non-significant risk designation from the fda in terms of efficacy you care about three things how fast how strong and how long the effect lasts. Okay, so how fast, we already talked about it. This is the big asset of, uh, of low field magnetic stimulation. It's the rapid onset of action. How strong, uh, we observed uh, more than 30% response rate uh, with a single 20 minute session. And it would be uh, some astronomical odds if a single 20 minute session, which we inherited from a diagnostic procedure, would be the optimal treatment regimen. So we are hoping by finding the optimal treatment regimen, our response rate will go uh, much higher. Uh, and just to put it in context, uh, single 20-minute uh, session produced 30% response rate in, ref in refractory patients. Drugs have uh, about 20%, 20 25% response rate in refractory patients. But, but we believe with uh, optimizing the regimen, we can improve it further. Mm -hmm. The third thing you care about is... Uh, the durability of the effect, how long the effect lasts. And this right. is what we don't know. This is our clinical risk. Uh, this is what uh, in, in the previous trials at McLean, they did not ask the question about the durability. Right. So now enter two year, enter NIMH, National Institute of Mental Health, two years ago. They have been, they had been frustrated about lack of uh, rapid onset of uh, action treatments in depression. So they came up uh, with a so-called rapid uh, program. And under this program, LFMS was selected as the first and one of the most promising treatments for a grant. Uh, so now we have an ongoing trial in place, uh, multi-site, uh, fully 
It's a randomized sham control, led by Mass General Hospital, mm-hmm. 90 patients, which is testing for the treatment durability. And this uh, trial will read out in the first quarter, we are hoping, in the first quarter of 2016, and yet should provide the ultimate def- definitive proof of concept for LFMS in terms of the, the, the last unknown that we have, the durability right. of the treatment. It's a pretty big unknown, though. It is. So we have... Uh, it's, it's a big unknown. Uh, it's, it's, it's a risk for us. Now, but we are also not completely blind. We have some clues. Uh, we have two clues. Uh, the first clue is anecdotal. comes from the uh, observations uh, back in when the observation was made. Some patients reported uh, the effect lasted for, for weeks. Mm-hmm. And the second clue we have is... Um, there was an independent study done, conducted by Nora Volko at uh, National Institute of Health. Uh, it was an FDG PET study. She looked at her, she, she, the, the question she asked, when I expose patients to LFMS, am I going to observe any physiological changes in the brain? And she observed that the glucose metabolism rate went down after LFMS exposure, mm-hmm. which is an important observation because in uh, uh, depression, in terms of biology, is, is hyperactivity of certain circuits. And the byproduct of this hyperactivity, firing at a higher rate, is increased uh, glucose metabolism, increased blood flow, and so on. And uh, what Nora Volko observed that LFMS was able to decrease the metabol- glucose metabolism rate. So it's still, the, the durability is still an unknown, but we do have some clues. So, I mean, do you imagine that this would be a bridge treatment to when the the pharmaceuticals would work? Drugs Is that in. sort of yeah. perhaps so, the idea? The, or a hypothesis, do, perhaps? Yeah, the, the hypothesis is we do not see ourselves as competing with the drugs. Uh, it is difficult to compete with uh, the convenience of popping a pill and with the cost of, of a generic drug. Yeah. Uh, where we want to play is uh, where there are no options today, or the option is basically hospitalization or ECT. So we would like to, it's the, the rapid onset of action, to get the patient uh, to the moment when the drug can, uh, can work. Mm-hmm. And I imagine in today's healthcare economics world where taking cost out of the system is a priority, that's, that's resonating? Yeah, so I mean, for every payer, it's, uh, the, the, the priority is to get the cost out of the system. Right. Hospitalization is extremely uh, costly. It's about $1,000 per night for uh, uh, depression patients. ECT is also very expensive, about $5,000 per treatment, but typically it's actually uh, done, done in inpatient environment over two to four weeks. Mm-hmm. So very expensive. Our, our hope is to either uh, avoid hospitalization or, or shorten the hospitalization mm-hmm. stay. So the drug companies aren't seeing you as a threat. In fact, you have some former R&D folks from pharma, Big Pharma on your board. Is that correct? That is correct. So this, I, when I joined Tal Medical, uh, it was about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the the one of the, the, there were two very intriguing things to me. One which I already talked about was the the possibility to redefine the clinical paradigm in 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 a uh, in, in in a clinical area in psychiatry, similar what devices have done in oncology, cardiology, and so on. But the, the second thing to to come to your point was I was intrigued. There were three former big pharma R&D heads backing the device, backing the company. It was, uh, they were Steve Paul. Uh, he was the head of R&D at Eli Lilly. Eli Lilly was one of the 
um, antidepressant market leaders. Under Steve, they developed uh, Zyprexas in Balta, and Proza comes from Lily as well. And before that, Steve was also the head of, uh, was the scientific director at NIMH. And second, John Lamatina, he's uh, an early investor. Uh, he was the head of R&D at Pfizer. And Ben Shapiro, he was head of research at Merck. So what was intriguing to me, there were these uh, pharma R&D heads who were yeah. backing a device. And I, I was the way I was thinking about it is, so these are people who understand the limitations of chemistry in the brain. Right. And they understand it. Uh, we, <laughs> we, to some extent, exhausted our options with the chemistry in the brain. How did they lure you out of Bain and company? <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> I'm sure it was a pretty nice job. <laughs> So I, I was with Bain for 14 years. Mm -hmm. um, it was, as I mentioned before, I had a personal interest in, in bipolar and, and depression, the family member. And uh, second, um, I um, had lots of fun in consulting, but uh, I, I like to leave some legacy. I want to build something. And then I, I had a, a discussion with Bob Langer at, at MIT. He's a partner at PureTech. PureTech was the founder of Tal Medical. Right. And he introduced me to PureTech. Uh, and then Daphne Zohar, the managing director, I had discussions with her. She showed me several companies in the portfolio where they were looking for, uh, for, for management. Uh, and Tal imme immediately jumped out at me because it was in the, in right. the depression space. It was... Uh, uh, there was this big vision uh, behind it uh, when I put my strategy head on and, and the people backing right. it. So how big is, the, is your company now? So I was the, um, I was the, uh, I, I, I was the first full-time CEO, joined last year. Um, before me, there was, a, uh, Andrew, there was a COO, Andrew Miller, who was a co-founder of the company, and Steve Paul was the acting CEO. In the meantime, we have hired a chief medical officer, uh, Atul Pandey. He was uh, a great win for us. He was the global head of neurosciences at GSK and before that at Pfizer. And then we hired uh, uh, head of product development, Mike Madden. Uh, at some point, he was the head of R&D for endoscopy and neurogynecology at Boston Scientific. Mm -hmm. So five people. And your clinical stage company, uh, your... What tell just give us a thirty second look at your your regulatory pathway over the next couple of years? Yeah, so the the path going forward is we have this ongoing trial which is testing for the durability. It will uh, it will read out in the first quarter of two thousand and sixteen. And from there we have two options. If the data is very good, we'll probably take it straight to the FDA uh, with a de novo pathway. If the data is uh, um, good enough, then we'll go into Pivita trial. Uh, and then the the expected product launch would be sometime in the 2017-19 timeframe. So there is still a way to go. There are still sure. technical risks to uh, overcome. The, the risks being we have to validate the earlier results in, in large-scale clinical trials. We have to establish the durability and we have to find out the optimal treatment regimen. Um, and in terms of your, your funding pathway, uh, I know you recently closed a B round, is that correct? So two weeks ago, we closed uh, stage one of series B round. Uh, it was with uh, two investors. Uh, PureTech was our founder, was uh, one of the two. Um, and 
we are now adding stage two um, as, as we have interest from additional investors. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're adding, first round was 12 million, we're adding up to two more million now. Great. Uh, any strategic partners that uh, were participated in that? Or are you looking at that route at all in terms of funding your company? It does seem sort of a natural fit for one of these yeah. drug companies to invest out of their venture fund or something like that. So we are currently in discussions with several medical device companies and, uh, and, and a couple of drug yeah. companies too. So clearly they see the market need as, as enticing in terms of the sheer numbers. Yes, I mean, the, 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 the way we, will, we like to describe the, the vision is this is an opportunity to participate in the creation of a completely new vertical mm -hmm. in the medical device space. When I think of the medical device space, you have all these different verticals. There is cardiology, 45 billion. You have orthopedics, 40 billion. And you have imaging, neurology, and so on. And, and we're asking the question, is there a future in the medical device world 10 years from now where there is a psychiatry vertical, right. several billion dollars, and, uh, and hopefully we can, uh, we can be at the beginning of laying the foundations of, of that vertical. That's very exciting. Sounds like a lot of work, too. <laughs> <laughs> Long way to go still. Yeah. It's hard to be a pioneer, right? <laughs> um, is there anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to add? I think we captured on, on, on most of the things. It's, uh, it's the last thing I would just emphasize is there's still a long way to go. We have risks uh, to overcome in terms of validating uh, the data and large scale trials, durability and regimen, um, commercial risks about uh, establishing a reimbursement for a new treatment. But uh, what, what motivates us is the, is, is, is the opportunity to create a new vertical to change the clinical paradigm in psychiatry in the same way as devices have done in cardiology, oncology, in sleep, and so on and so on. So, so the one thing I would like to add is that I'm particularly proud of is, is the people um, who are supporting us. Um, it's, uh, we have John Abele and Patrick Kennedy are our senior advisors. John Abele was the co-founder of sure. uh, Boston Scientific and uh, longtime chairman. He's a strong believer of neuromodulation. And Patrick Kennedy, he was the U.S. representative for uh, Rhode Island, uh, and he was the lead author of the Mental uh, Health Parity Act. And a sufferer and, uh, from depression as well, correct? He, uh, that's correct, uh, from bipolar depression. Oh. And he's one of the most passionate, one of the most visible advocates uh, uh, of, uh, of, of the cause of mental health. And in our scientific advisory board includes people such as Maurizio Fava, he's the uh, Vice Chair of Psychiatry at uh, Mass General Hospital, Mark George, one of the early inventors of transcranial magnetic stimulation, and uh, Bob Post. Uh, he was the head of biological psychiatry section at NIMH for many years, several decades. So it's, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's uh, truly inspiring uh, working with uh, such, a, uh, such a dedicated and great uh, group of people. Well, best of luck to you. It sounds like a really exciting endeavor. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.